This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 147 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here another Sunday, the last Sunday in January here in the den here, Nick. So a lot of things that we get to dissect here. Of course, you were at Hockey Day, Minnesota. We've got a lot to talk about on the women's side related to that. Uh, of course, the men's team also played this weekend. I use the, the term played with quote, quotation marks. Um, they were on the ice. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, well, what, it's what happened on the ice. Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, and try to dissect that as much as we can. Uh, Minnesota Wild, we're back in action. Uh, they're going to be off this upcoming week, of course, All-Star Game stuff. So uh, we'll kind of get you primed and ready for their essentially first half and change before their playoff push as they come back from the break in about a week and a half. So we'll talk about that, of course. Uh, I don't think we're going to have an extra ice session today, Nick. I think we're going to kind of cut that out uh, and maybe see if there's anything interesting that pops up during the week uh, that maybe we can expand on uh, potentially. So mm-hmm. um, hint, hint, not judge, maybe. Uh, but <laughs> but be, but beyond that, uh, yeah, I think we uh, it's a good day for us to devote time to the men's and women's programs and a little bit Minnesota Wild and really just kind of take a deep dive into everything and kind of get us set for what, what will be the second half push for both of those squads as well too. Of course, the women are about a month away. Uh, and change from playoff time, I would say. So, yep. uh, and then the men will be a couple weeks after that. But we start, as always, with a very jam-packed Huskies Illustrated week- weekly roundup and Centerize View news and notes. Centerize View news and notes. Centerize View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Noah, plenty to talk about, as you said, in center ice view news and notes. Um, biggest one coming out of the NHL last week was the Rick Tockett hiring Boudreaux being fired. The dumpster fire that is the Vancouver Canucks. Yes. And I say that out loud and I don't care. Um, <laughs> here's what's interesting, though. Vancouver is 2-1-0 since that hiring uh, a win against Chicago um, and as well as the Columbus Blue Jackets and then a loss to the Seattle Kraken who continued to roll. So, um Again, it's kind of that honeymoon phase for a new coach. You know, is it really? Could you put any coach in there and have any different result? That roster is flawed, in my opinion. But good to see at least there's a little bit of a response. But again, it is Vancouver and things just can't go their way. Um, let's you know quickly dissect because I, I think we have to. Uh, we we got a lot to talk about here, Noah. So let's move on. Uh, sort of a bigger news, right? Um, Bloomberg. 
uh, reporting that uh, Valley Sports North's um, regional sports network group is headed towards bankruptcy court. Um, so, and it's looking to restructure essentially 8.6 billion with a B in debt. And mind you, Bally's is a, a subsidiary of Sinclair. So it's technically Diamond Sports LLC is, is sort of you know the company they created. Now, here's the problem. They have a lot of the rights to a majority of Major League Baseball, NHL, and NBA squads. So yeah. um, why is that a problem? Well, because you pay the television rights to those teams, which means that's broadcast revenue. And if there's anything we've learned, especially NHL fans, is that the broadcast revenue is a big chunk of league revenue, especially teams revenue, too. So this is huge news. Um, and I guess, side note, since we're talking about bankruptcy, Evander Kane also missed the last couple of Oilers games because uh, of his bankruptcy trials. Uh, so uh, he's about $27 million in debt as being reported. So, oh boy, um, uh, lots yeah. of old money in sports. Yeah, yeah it's, an, it's an interesting thing. I know that uh, Valley Sports North, North, for example, they missed their payment that was supposed to be made this month as well, too, and their, yep. uh, that kind of good faith payment as well. So uh, it's a really awkward spot to be in. Uh, and, of course, they took over Fox Sports North and the Fox Sports groups and those regional groups essentially you had you know the the oh, south way anyway. it was yeah. it was, it was for, for those who the bigger picture was it was actually espn that came in and bought all of fox sports the fcc because they they want to have not a monopoly in this in this situation right they yeah. essentially said no you can't do this because you're over your threshold well to make things easier they didn't necessarily say we're going to stop the sale but they did say you've got x amount of months to essentially sell off chunks to get you underneath the percentage that we allow, right? Right. Sinclair created Diamond Sports and then essentially did one big purchase. There were rumors back in the day yeah. that, you know, like an old MSC could be um, resurfaced, right? So for those young kids, Midwest Sports Channel, that was where the Gophers, that was essentially was Fox Sports North before Fox Sports North. It was a local thing. It was locally owned. I believe that was a Hubbard thing back in the day, if I recall. Yeah. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but it was a regionally owned thing. It was its own channel, right? Um, and now we're in this position where, depending on the outcome of this, I think we could maybe see something like this again. Um, just yeah. because I'm just not sure, you know, with as much debt that's out there. And, and again, when you talk about restructuring, that doesn't necessarily mean that they've got the money to pay it. They're just trying to essentially yeah. open the payments. Well, on. the problem is people don't watch TV anymore. And if they do, they're Your streaming, problem. they're streaming things, right? Uh, besides live right. sports and the news, there's not much that people tune into television mm -hmm. for anymore. And that's, right. that's becoming a, a large issue where, you know, it used to be where if you wanted to watch, let's say what, what would be an old show, I guess 24, for example, there's sure. a really terrible TV show. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, let's say you wanted to watch that. You'd be watching the live sporting event and you would say an all new 24 coming up after the game or whatever. And you would sit down and you'd have a family night and you'd be hanging out in front of the TV for three hours watching that and then catching whatever was on the TV. You were paying attention to the TV guide and the schedule and making sure that you like maybe Sundays, Sundays were your movie night, Tuesdays were going to be your whatever night. And then Friday, Saturday, you're watching live sports or something like that, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you had to be very attentive to the TV guide. Um, and of course, when like DVR and like, I think it was TiVo was like the first one that you could do actual recording and like you could pause yeah. and go back and that sort of thing. And Parental controls too were kind of TiVo thing too. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like when I was a kid, we had a giant, you know, satellite dish pointed on the south side of our house too. And that no longer well, you have is to when you're in the middle of America's waste. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that trying to contact aliens, but it's, uh, 
now now that's no longer a thing and everybody it's like oh you like a tv show figure out what streaming service carries it pay the five bucks a month for the streaming service and watch the entire series in a week and that's where that's really killing a lot of tv companies and that's where i think sinclair and of course valley sports they have this great idea you know like oh we're going to cover the wild games we're going to cover the twins that sort of thing and that that certainly generates revenue but they can't supplement it with other shows that people used to tune in because they're like, one, I can watch it any time. And why would I do that when I can, you know, so that's why people get mad about like Bally trying to charge 20 bucks a month for a streaming service. That's them trying to recuperate losses. So, so let's break that down because you brought up an important point. So back in the day of cable, right? When you actually broke down your cable bill by channel, the most expensive part of that. So let's just say your cable bill is 60 bucks a month. Every channel has a price tag on it. Now, mind you, yep. big companies like NBC, CBS owned a lot of those channels, right? So part of the supplementary cost of that, so let's just take ESPN, right? Out of your $60 cable, they were like 12 bucks of that. Yeah. Now, mind you, ESPN, actually, let me rephrase that. So let's say like ABC, right? So ABC was probably five, six bucks. But ABC also owned like, say, Lifetime Network and this and that because you'd see ads running the same channels, right? But those were like pennies on the dollar, like 10 cents or 12 cents, right? Yeah. Part of the cable price and part of why cable only offered the packages and why you know people were cutting the cord was, I, I don't watch all these channels, so why do I pay for it? Well, part of it was to make sure they were recuperating that cost, right? It was because they're still the head honcho creating this content and they wanted to make sure even at 10 cents a channel, they were getting something out of nothing. Well, again, as you mentioned, the streaming services come along and now you're getting to pick and choose. Well, you're still that channel still costing you the 16 to 20 bucks. It's always been there. It was just lumped into one bigger cost, right? So this 20 bucks a month from Bally's really isn't out of the question for what you're getting. If you really think about it, it is kind of on par with what you were paying beforehand. And at some point, there's going to have to be, you know, with, was it Hulu TV was a big part of it, YouTube TV. Uh, yeah. I think you are going to see, for this to really make fiscal sense, I think you're going to see these companies not offering it to these anymore. I really don't. They're going to have to be independent. And it's not going to be fun for the viewer. But at the end of the day, if you want to watch a sporting event, that's kind of what this is trending. And if it has to be that way for it to not be blacked out or be on the air, I think that's where it's going to have to go. Am I off my if my off my well, off, th- like the big conglomerate too is the espn hulu disney plus kind of kind of deal that we have and i have it of course why wouldn't i you know you mm-hmm. get all of the like i like formula one too that's where you get all the formula one stuff and that sort of thing and you know it's a pretty nice package all three of those for 20 bucks a month i mean how do you Not say bad. no to something yeah. like that you know you get all the espn sporting events you know that's where you're going to end up finding the ncaa's for men's hockey right yeah. you know so that's yeah it yeah. it, it and at it's, 20 bucks, that's actually kind of a steal if you think about oh, it. Oh, yeah. It's because ESPN uh, and Disney, to a lower extent, realize that they're in a position to offer something like that. I don't really know about Hulu. I felt like they were probably very middling, but they were more than happy to jump onto something like that because they already have a live TV package themselves. Mm-hmm. So I I definitely think that uh, we're, we're in line for a shakeup in the near future yep. here for sure. And... I don't know what that future is going to look like, but I wonder, you know, I think a market like Minnesota, for example, like we're always going to have wild games. Someone's going to carry the wild games. That much is going to be clear. But you think about 
other places like uh, what used to be Fox Sports Southeast, you know, how many people want to cover the Panthers? You know what I mean? In mm-hmm. Florida, like it's it's kind of an interesting little juggle that I really don't know what the answer is. No. And if I'm going to you know pull out the crystal ball, my prediction, I think you're going to see a split between sports programming by itself. Yeah. And I like news and entertainment, that kind of thing. So I, I really do see a split there where before it was kind of lumped, right? Where it's, if it's ABC, again, Disney, they do a great, you know, they have a great portfolio of, you know, fictional, you know, TV series, obviously the hard news, and then obviously the sports, right? Yeah. I think you're going to see a split because, you know, at the end of the day, those, those days of trying to, con- you know, combine the, price of those are just they're gone nobody wants that anymore now i get it you know i get what they were trying to do i just don't think that that's a sells as a selling point so i think what you're going to see happen is it's going to be a direct-to-consumer sports thing it's going to go up in price because they're going to have to try to recuperate that cost of the news stuff from their sports selling thing i think that's where it's going to go but who knows, yeah, right? And every and everybody's their own content creator, right? You know, like yeah. if you wanted to be successful back in 2005, you had to be like Dr. Phil or Oprah, where you had to mm-hmm. have your own show and everybody tuned in at three o'clock in the afternoon to watch your show. And yeah. now it's, well, I could have my own show or I can get millions of hits on YouTube and start my own yeah. brand and not have to worry about all the overhead and all the extra pieces along with that so you have to worry about the algorithm if you're youtube so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but well that's besides the fact right um it'll get figured out at some point but i think you're right there's going to be a shake up here uh mm-hmm. probably sooner than we'd think that's i think that's yeah. obvious um what isn't obvious or maybe what wasn't obvious what seven what, eight years ago what won't be shaken up let's just yeah. put it that way well, let's put it is uh jared bednar um becoming the winniest uh winni- winniest winniest coach is that Winni- is that a word Winningest, yes. Winningest coach in Avalanche franchise history in his <laughs> 500th game. Who wrote script on this? My gosh. So, words, with, words with Nick. That is literally, yeah. that is, I literally pasted the headline for you there. Winningest coach. Jared yeah. Bednar becomes winningest coach in Avalanche franchise history. <laughs> that in was his the, 500th game. I know. Uh, 266th victory um, against Darcy Kemper, uh, the, yeah. the goaltender that uh, helped him win the Stanley Cup last year against the Capitals last Tuesday. Um, holy cow. Uh, what a difference. How many years? What, six years? When I, You mean you don't miss Patrick Waugh trying to push down <laughs> the, the stanchion? I believe Bruce, Bruce Boudreau. Boudreau. Yeah, yeah. It was when he was in Boudreau Anaheim. Anaheim. Yeah. And uh, you, know who, you know what's even more funny? Guess who his assistant coach was on that bench? Tim Army. <laughs> it was Tim Army that was on his bench. Um, I still remember um, it was the home opener for Colorado. It was the season opener. That's when the yeah. uh, the Wild came back four goals. It was Vanek, Spurgeon, uh, Parisi had a, a hat trick in that game to come back and win 5-4 when uh, Avalanche up, I think, at one point up 4-1. to one. Um, So, yeah, Patrick Waugh. Holy cow. <laughs> what a guy. So <laughs> so uh, that's kind of fun. Also, Col- Colorado making moves as uh, they've kind of gotten things back together, right? Uh, minor trade. They sent uh, Martin Kaut and uh, Jacob McDonald to San Jose for uh, Ryan Merkley and Matt Nieto. Uh, interesting story with Matt Nieto. It's been San Jose, Colorado, San Jose, Colorado. It's been a very, you know, interesting, you know, yeah. road for him. Uh, but for Kaut, he was 23 years old, three points in 27 games played this season. He's a, a, a draft of the 2018 class. Uh, McDonald, uh, second to last on Colorado uh, in average time on ice of eight minutes, 40 seconds, two assists in 33 games played. 
Um, a lot of that, he's been injured a bit. So no, really no, looking. it's sorry. Um, he played forward because of Colorado's injuries. He was listed ah. as the final forward. They would dress seven or eight defensemen oh, uh, would because up. of Got because it. of their injury bug. So yeah, he ended up playing forward just because of his size and uh, Colorado. Their injury bug has kind of disappeared, and if you're a Wild fan, that's a bit scary as we head into it. Yeah, a little bit, and St. Louis is starting to kind of maybe sort of become a threat, too. Apparently, Ryan O'Reilly is on the trade block right now, though, so... Uh, I don't know. It, it depends on where they're at. I, I I could see it happening, but who knows? Because if he goes, and there's more pieces that go and, and see. Well, if he goes, he's going to win another Con Smythe, and whoever yeah. gets him is going to be a Stanley Cup champion, right? Yeah, I probably, mean, that's which is probably going to be Boston, but you know. Um, <laughs> oh Merkley, God, that would be scary. That would be Jeez. scary. Yeah, it would be. Uh, Merkley 2018 draft as well. Uh, seven points in 39 games played. Matt Nieto again. We talked about his previous tenure with uh, with the Abs uh, again. Four years in 2016 and 2020 had 15 points in 45 games. Uh, age of 30, so uh, a nice depth piece again. That's one thing. Nieto can skate. Uh, he, he's a fast player. Uh, can be really good as a fourth line role, good depth role. Uh, can can kind of provide that same paper. But uh, so yeah, Colorado trying to just do a, a minor retool here in the flies again. You mentioned they're getting healthy um, and also going to get this break here with the All-Star break. And uh, they're coming up. Uh, they're yeah. they're going to be back in the conversation for our top three in the Central. So uh, you, you wonder what the Wild are thinking. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later in the show. Yeah, Ryan Merkley actually uh, drafted a couple spots uh, past Kaut and Merkley was supposed to be a top 10 pick. I mean, he was OHL Rookie of the Year, but a lot of off-ice issues kind of perceived his personality too. So he really hasn't developed. But if there's any place that a defenseman has the opportunity to develop, I would say Colorado is a pretty good landing spot. I think they really, they're looking for the forward depth and injury prevention with Matt Nieto, you know, a known commodity for them. And then if they can take a guy like Ryan Merkley as well too and see if they can turn him into something, I think that's probably what Colorado's big game plan, short-term for Nieto, long-term for Merkley and see if they can make that pass package works so uh mm-hmm. kind of interesting i think the abs win this one by uh, a little bit unless Cout can turn into something interesting in san jose but uh yeah other than that uh, mcdonald unfortunately just kind of a body uh in this trade that is coming back on the back end so uh interesting move but colorado uh getting slightly better i would say overall mm-hmm. in terms of their depth so it should be interesting uh vancouver canucks keeping their depth intact uh kuzmenko a two-year extension for him five and a half million average annual value 12 team no trade clause uh course 20, but- of course 27 years of age well it's interesting to realize he's got 43 points in 47 games on a very terrible canucks squad so um Pretty impressive for him. Uh, other signings here, Arizona Coyotes defenseman Yusuf Valamaki, of course, coming over from Calgary. One-year extension, one mil, 12 points in 43 contests for him this season. Blue Jackets also claiming forward Lane Peterson off of waivers from the Canucks. Had three points this year, 55 total NHL games for him. He's only 25, so Jackets looking to add a bit of depth. Uh, second to last topic here, the Senators assistant coach Bob Jones was diagnosed with ALS. Uh, his fourth season with the team as an assistant with the Senators, previously worked in the AHL and in the O for over 20 years. So uh, he's going to continue coaching, um, you know, trying to be an advocate for ALS as he continues to coach and, you know, might take some leave in there. But, geez, what a what a difficult little story there. I, yeah. Unfortunately, Ottawa has kind of had a history of having coaching staff have health issues. Um and that's not, you know, that's nothing say nothing to the organization or the city of Ottawa. It's just talk about, you know, yeah. puck luck and not having it in your favor on the personnel side. I mean, yeah, just 
I mean, what do you do, right? It's just that those things just happen, right? And I'm sure we'll talk about some of those other things that we saw, um, particularly myself here just the other day. So yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it definitely difficult uh, injury side of things as well too. As we wrap up this part of the show, uh, the Senators as well without Josh Norris for the rest of the season came back, played three games, then they shot him down, shoulder surgery again. Uh, Vancouver, Ilya Mikheyev, season-ending ACL surgery for him. <laughs> Toronto's Austin Matthews, three to four weeks with a knee sprain. Um, yeah. uh, that's also going to put him out of contention for uh, the All-Star game. So yep. uh, that'll keep him out. Uh, trade candidate Shane Gostisbehar for Arizona out four to six with an upper body injury. Here's a guy where, uh, I don't know, like if Matt Dumba ever got moved and they were looking for a guy back, I wouldn't mind seeing if Gostisbehar would be a decent little fit in Minnesota. I don't know if it's much of an upgrade, but he's got 29 points in 48 games as a defenseman for Arizona and his cap hit is done after this year. So it's, yeah, that's, I don't know because I mean, what do you, what it's a player for player trade. So, I mean, yeah. and, you're, and it's the end of the term. So, I mean, at that point, why don't just keep Dumba? I don't know. Maybe you, you know believe, what I mean. Like maybe maybe you believe there's more upside to Gossip Bear where you could sign him at a lower price point for increased maybe. production type of thing. Yeah. You know, so. But are you really looking for production from Dumba right now? And 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 I say that only because Dumba's been paired with Brody, and we know how good Brody is, right? Yeah. And I I swear Brody is like the most underrated, underappreciated defenseman in the league. Yeah, he is. I really think. Um. So. And I I think with Dumba too, like the we can talk about you know, some maybe calamities or whatnot, but every defense is going to have that. Right. But yeah, if, Minnesota struggled without Dumbo in the lineup last they week. Did. So, and, and as I mentioned, I think last week is, you know, I think that really was a, a test of, okay, if we do trade away Dumbo and if, you know, we feel like that's where it's going to go and we can't get a defenseman back in the trade, this is what we're going to work with. And this is what it's going to be like. It didn't look great. It yeah. didn't look good. So, and again, I've said my stance before. I I do really think that with that, it proves that if you're going to pull the trigger on Dumba, that's uh, that's the kind of return you're going to get or not. That's going to make that a lot harder come trade deadline. I really do think so. Certainly would agree. Deadline about five and a half weeks away. The other injury, Penguins goaltender Tristan Jari once again out until after the All-Star break due to injury. And welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 147 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant, that's me. Joining me, Nick Maxson here for another Sunday here in the den, Nick. And uh, before we get to some NCAA hockey news, a couple of tidbits here related to scheduling I think we need to point out here. Of course, we're getting down to crunch time for playoff time as well, too. But uh, Mm -hmm. I am starting practicum in the hospital. So the weekend of February, uh, where would it be here now? Yes, February 17th through the 21st and then the weekend of March 2nd through the 6th or whatever it is. Uh, those two weekends will probably have a Tuesday morning release. We'll have a Monday night recording and a Tuesday morning release based on my practicum schedule. It should be the only two weekends that we have any sort of conflict, um, at least for the time being on my side of things. So we'll, we'll get through uh, as things come up as we usually do, but just wanted to put give listeners a heads up. We're going to have kind of alternating weeks where we're going to have a normal re- release followed by a Tuesday morning release, just so listeners and viewers are aware. But other than that, uh, of course, Nick was at Hockey Day Minnesota. We'll, we'll touch on that uh, on the women's side, but I guess overall, as kind of a primer here, Nick, uh, how was the experience? Uh, you're, you're, um, is that your first game that you've done on Bally? Am I? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, anytime that you get to be showcased in a regional sports network, I mean, that's that's always an honor, right? It's 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 something that not many people get a chance to do. Uh, so I was thrilled to get the call. You know, again for folks who follow the show, um, got the call about a month ago that it may happen. Uh, again, it was not an original part of the broadcast uh, schedule for Hockey Day. So when it was, you know, things behind the scenes worked out. You know, you just, you don't say no to that. So uh, yeah. it's fantastic. And again, working with. Uh, producer Brian Stanley and again the HP crew as always it's always you know it brings you back right that's a hell of a program it doesn't get you know it gets good recognition but I don't think it's enough uh, recognition for how good they are at developing uh, both on camera talent as well as behind uh, the scenes talent with you know just how well they run that again for those who don't realize it everything about that broadcast was student run the cameras the yep. graphics um, you know the producers you know everything is student run and you know that you don't get that a lot of other places uh, to be able to run that kind of uh, uh, program uh, at that kind of level. So uh, kudos to again the entire student organization, HP, uh, Brooke Purowitz, Ryan McNamara did a really good job uh, on their roles as well, and of course uh, Brian Stanley. Hats off to him. So a lot of fun. Yeah, I was just thinking about the crew that, of course, was there when you were there. And I'm sure it was kind of weird trying to throw it down to ice level and realizing that, you know, it wasn't Kirsten Kroll or whoever it might have been down there, too. Yeah. So a uh, bit of a change here. Um, we're getting old, aren't we? Um, I've always been old, but, you know, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> just, don't, just don't let Caleb find out on Twitter. Boy, he was kind of he had a couple of really good ones this weekend yeah. on Twitter, by the way. Yes, he, he was did. he was on his game he for was... sure. And it's, yeah. yeah, unlike other teams that. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it related up. to St. Cloud hockey. But uh, with that being said, let's start away from the NCHC here. Big 10 action here. Wisconsin swept by Notre Dame, 5-3-3-1. Uh, good little bounce back weekend for Notre Dame, I think. Get that one, yeah. Uh, this one kind of surprised me. The Spartans getting beat by Minnesota 8 nothing the first night, 6-3 the second night. Uh, you know, this is a team that's 16th in the pairwise right now. And uh, I... Like I said, I, you know, we kind of had this conversation in our private group chat. I don't think the Spartans obviously are like world class. Oh, my gosh, you need to watch out for them. But they're definitely a contender still this year. And I think people need to realize that, you know. The the big knack on them is just defensively. I mean, they, yeah. in a, the first half was much better for them. For whatever reason, the last half of the, you know, if in, in December, they started to kind of fall a little bit and we were thinking okay it's a blip in the road and then just they haven't really been able to recover hmm sounds familiar for folks who <laughs> listen to this channel right yeah Maybe, aka last year um it's it's been a very curious case as mm -hmm. you would say noah and I, I just i don't know i think with that type of performance to the golfers i mean it's i don't know i'm not as sold on them as i once was i'm just not yeah, I know that a lot of people have talked about their reliance on goaltending, but I always think that's a moot point. It's like, well, yeah, you have to have good goaltending. No matter what. At any point. Um, again, reference to this weekend. But it's like, you know, yes, you need a good team playing in front of you. I still think Michigan State has enough chance to do some damage or maybe have home ice at least, which is something that we haven't said in a while for the Spartans in general. So they are still moving in the right direction. But yeah, this... Uh, they definitely got punched in the mouth this weekend, and you're going to have to see how they respond next weekend. Of course, Minnesota will be off next weekend, so uh, the Gophers uh, getting a bit of rest, um, which they probably don't really need. Anyway. Or um, want. Or want. They want to keep that rolling. 
Yeah, uh, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan, a sweep, 7-3 and 5-4. A couple of mm-hmm. big victories against the Nittany Lions here. That certainly hurts Penn State a little bit. So Ohio nice. State was off this weekend. Um, Mankato traveling to Ferris, uh, sweep for them, outscoring mm-hmm. Ferris 9-2 on the weekend. Bemidji State, Lake Superior, 3-2 scores, Ouch. one going each way. Yeah. Uh, the Lakers. How about the Lakers' social media account, by the way? They brought that up a couple of times. It's uh, – <laughs> You know, uh, there, I, I think there's a, I think there's a bit of, you know, uh, you know, a face that they're trying to throw out there. I think it's kind of funny. Yeah. I don't, you know, for those who are taking it, you know, yeah. at face value, I think you're kind of missing the point. But that's just my own opinion. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot be, of a lot of the jokes feel a little tongue in cheek, right? You know, like yeah. the goal that got wave off, and they're like, apparently it was a high stick eye roll, kind of pulling the whole like, like I don't know what, how you would call it, like a dumb blonde type of reaction but like really in reality they know they know what's going on and they're trying to play it off that way and honestly like for lake state do you really want to talk a lot about hockey when you're in that you mean (laughs) again what what people don't understand is when you're when you're in the social media account and your team is where they're at and i'm you know lake state again and they're a program that was an ncaa tournament team not that long ago right yeah it's tough when things are just not going your way and you you see where you're at, right? There's no denying that this has been a very tough season it, for you to try to talk about the team where it's, you know, and if you were just going to be like, oh, three, two, that, everybody's like, well, we don't care. We know this is old news. It's happened every weekend. You kind of have to be a little creative and try yeah. to throw maybe a little humor in there to try to, you know, keep fans engaged as best you can, considering all circumstances. It's not an easy yeah. job. I had a good conversation with, of course, you remember Mike Schmidt coming on oh, for yes. the NC- mm-hmm. NCHC officiating crew. His son, of course, played at Lake Superior State a couple of years ago, was an assistant captain his senior year. And uh, him and I, he, of course, skates in men's league with us. And uh, we were kind of having this conversation. He said, I really think the transfer portal rules really killed programs like Lake State because you can poach any good players that are coming from those small programs and they really start to struggle. So mm-hmm. I know for him, uh, you know, it's been really tough watching the Lakers, you know, go through that. Because like you mentioned, they were on the rise and had that tournament appearance too and almost uh, did some damage there. So, um, yeah, CZHA teams just kind of are in a weird spot. I would say besides Mankato, it's – and maybe Bemidji a little bit, it's hard to look at the rest of these programs and feel totally comfortable with where they're sitting as a program, right? You know, year in and year out where you you went back in the day. I mean, Michigan Tech was a mainstay, right? Playing the Gophers, playing North Dakota, playing whoever. And now it's been more and more challenging as we go through. Um, They did get a sweep, though, this weekend against Northern Michigan. This Wildcats team, I thought they were going to bring more to the table. They have fallen off a cliff uh, in the second half of the season. parachute. Yeah, it's a free. Yeah, it's been very bad. Uh, and the U.S. under eight teams played Bowling Green on Friday. Uh, U.S. winning six to three in that one. Not really a whole lot of surprise. That under eighteen team this year is stacked. Pretty they're good. Very good. Uh, ECAC action. A couple of Harvard games. Colgate uh, losing to Harvard five four in overtime, and then Cornell getting trounced pretty yeah. heavily yeah. by Harvard six two. Harvard is ten in the pairwise right now. So uh, yeah, hockey East, both, rightfully so, actually. Yeah, um, they haven't played bad. Uh, UMass and UMass Lowell, what a barn burner this was. one nothing UMass Lowell on Friday. Um, Merrimack, Vermont, uh, game going each way. Merrimack winning 4-2 and then Vermont 2-1 in overtime. Uh, BCBU, this one was a home-and-home. Home. BU got them both, 6-3, 3-1. And Providence at Maine. Maine a sweep this Yikes. weekend, 3-2 and 3 nothing for the Friars this 
this could be the dagger that puts them out of tournament contention. I this, think so. That is not good. In fact, I wonder. Um, I know we're going to talk about it a little bit like we always do, and of course I had it up, but I'm wondering. I mean, they were like 12 or 13 in the pairwise, and they moved down to 24. They're right next to Minnesota Duluth. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of an interesting swing there. So uh, not ideal in Hockey East. Uh, Connecticut ice turning as well went on. Quinnipiac beating Sacred Heart and UConn beating Yale pretty handily in the first night. So that gave us our matchup that we were looking for. Quinnipiac, UConn, 4-3. to three. Quinnipiac gets the victory in that championship game. Sacred Heart, same score over Yale in the consolation matchup. Alaska schools doing battle here, Nick, and it was a pair of four to three overtime victories in the home and home for Alaska Fairbanks. You know what's interesting? After last night, of course, Alaska Anchorage, not the strongest team this season in the mid-50s in the pairwise. What do you think their record is this season? Isn't it closer to 500? It's not closer to 500, but it's better than I thought it was. Um, They are eight and 16. This season, which I didn't realize they had eight wins this season. Like, actually, I mean, not great, but not totally in shambles. I mean, it's not totally, you know, and if they would have beaten 16, that's what their website says. Um, Anyway, um, could be some non-conference stuff too, uh, and exhibition stuff. But uh, with that being said, uh, you know, had they beaten the Nanooks, who, of course, have beaten Denver, could have really boosted them as well. Um, A I don't think they're going to make the pairwise top 16, though. I'll throw that out there. No. Uh, St. Thomas, ASU, ASU, a pair of wins, 4 nothing and 4-3 in overtime for the independent matchup there. And that is all we had for scores to kind of recount. What's on tap here, Nick? Um, Hockey East, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is going to be awful to uh, cover. Um, and the reason I say that, I should have, I should have known better when I saw that the schedule was so favorable this week. I should have known that the typhoon was coming <laughs> when it comes to hockey East. The problem here is that all of our big end, our high end teams are not playing each other. They're playing everybody in the lower half of the standings or they're playing each other for single game sets. Of course. Well, I guess we'll start with what's on tap in hockey East since we've rambled about them the following Monday, a week from tomorrow, the bean pot happens. Yep. We play Harvard BU plays Northeastern. So that puts a wrench in the scheduling of course, Tuesday, this upcoming Tuesday of this week, BC plays Northeastern, single game set. Then BC will have UMass Lowell on Friday. Mm-hmm. BU has Maine on Friday. UMass has Providence on Friday. Merrimack has New Hampshire on Friday. And UConn has Northeastern on Friday. Those are all our Friday matchups, and it's all of our big dogs slotted against teams who are lower than them in the standing. So it's just, it's that Pretty kind much. of, week. yeah. Uh, then our only Saturday game, UMass Lowell has new Hampshire. And then Sunday, Merrimack travels to Maine and Providence travels to Vermont before our bean pot matchups on Monday. So yeah, that is, that's just hockey East people. <laughs> so, <laughs> and why not throw in the fact that, you know, in the ECAC, Quinnipiac plays Harvard on Friday. That'll be a good one. Uh, and RPI plays Cornell on Friday. And then Cornell has Union Saturday, while Quinnipiac has Dartmouth. So potential upset city on Saturday in the ECAC. Uh, CCHA 2.0, Lake Superior travels to NMU, St. Thomas at Mankato, Tech at Bemidji State, and Ferris at Bowling Green. 
Big Ten-wise, Penn State travels to OSU, Wisconsin's at Michigan, Notre Dame at Michigan State, and of course the Gophers, like we mentioned, are off. Atlantic Hockey, two games, two, two game sets to pay attention to. Sacred Heart, who of course uh, is one of the best teams in that conference right now, home and home against AIC Thursday, Saturday, and RIT, another very great team right now, I believe, atop the standings, if I'm not mistaken, in Atlantic Hockey. They'll have Canisius uh, coming up here, so potentially Canisius could halt their flow in Atlantic hockey. And then independent wise, Stonehill plays Long Island, Stonehill, not many games for them in their hybrid schedule. So that should be intriguing. And then Arizona state travels to Alaska Fairbanks uh, to see what the Nooks can do in that matchup here, Nick. So uh, yeah. Anything else you wanted to add about NCAA men's pretty cut and dry. I think all pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Week. So uh, NCHC action here. Uh, course we'll start omaha western michigan western michigan 6-1 on friday night nebraska omaha 2-0 on the backside of that so uh actually if you're a huskies fan it's probably about the best result you could have hoped for out of that matchup is two regulation victories and a split uh you know because you have two teams who are right around you in the standings of course huskies dropped a third in the nchc uh after last weekend so north dakota traveled to miami uh outscoring them 12 to 1 on the weekend uh, and then CC traveling to Denver on Friday only. Of course, this is one of two weekends where they have the single game matchups where they alternate instead of having their their bye weeks. They they stagger those two weekends. So of course they'll be in CC next Saturday. They played in Denver this past Friday. Denver two to nothing was the final score in that one. CC the Tigers giving them a pretty good run for their money, I would say. So yeah. uh, uh, is the NCHC a little wild this year? I think it might be. Um, then of course I wrote Denver. I mean Duluth. We all know who beat St. Cloud. We, yeah, about that. This Bulldogs team, uh, five three and six three. We talked about how this schedule second half is maybe not necessarily favorable to the Huskies from a pairwise standpoint. And who else but the Duluth Bulldogs to disrupt? Of course, mm-hmm. Mahler Ice Sheet Duluth on home ice. I mean, the attendance in the first night five three victory for the Bulldogs six thousand five hundred seventy nine. A pretty good building uh, with a lot of bodies in there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course, Duluth up one nothing after the first St. Cloud answered with a pair of goals, including a five-on-three goal. Then Duluth got one of their own, and then three straight power play goals for these Bulldogs, followed by St. Cloud's goal from Adam Ingram to get him back uh, within two. But, yeah, special teams was the name of the game this weekend, and defensively, especially on the kill, they were absolutely porous. And we talked about this on MNCAA, Nick, right, is that this – Bulldog team is hovering around 500 or middling in all of their statistical categories to say that they are a bad hockey team this year. I don't think did it justice in the sense that they still had good underlying numbers and they needed a perfect storm of a weekend to push them into that category where those numbers reflected the way that they were capable of playing. Mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, St. Cloud has had this uncanny ability where their losses have been pretty devastating uh, in the pairwise column here. Uh, yeah. First night, I mean, we talked about how that first game was going to be imperative against these Bulldogs here. Your reaction after the first night, what did you think? Uh, oh, boy. Because I don't want to you know, sound the alarm bells like everybody else does, but there is sort of some ringing, right? And that is... Because it's not like it, it didn't seem like the effort wasn't there. It just felt like the Huskies' brains were off. Yeah, I mean, it just it kind of felt like they went into the game, and you know, 
we're trying to just not play the way that Huskies hockey's always been, right? And it's you know, when you see the penalties, when you see the, especially the special teams uh, yeah. not having success. Um, and, and, and I know that a lot of people are calling it, oh, this is all because Dylan Anhorn's out. No, he's, he's one player on a sheet of 20 that's got to show up, right? And yeah. St. Cloud's responded historically well this season when mm-hmm. a key guy has been on the lineup. But you can't, you can't go four for eight on the kill. No. And you can also go to the box eight times. So when you yeah. talk about, you know, trying to not allow a team like Minnesota Duluth to have an, an end in the game. And, and you and I both know this as former players. When you're on special teams a lot, it just disrupts a good team's flow, right? You can't roll your lines. You can't really establish a four check. Uh, you just kind of feel like you're chasing the game a bit, right? Yeah, so say, and what, and what is taking eight penalties indicative of at five yeah, on five you're chasing the game. Yeah. You're chasing the game a hundred percent. So, uh, and that's where, you know, back a couple of years ago where this Huskies team was the best at they were one of the best teams five on five lately they've struggled five on five and you know your special teams when i think the fear i'm not sure if you have the same fear Noah, but when your special teams start to have showings like this you kind of wonder what effect it has on five on five yeah well that's the that's the fear you feel like you're gripping the sticks too tight right or you feel Mm -hmm. like you you don't want to make a turnover because then it leads you chasing and then you're going to take a penalty and oh my goodness what happens if we get on the pk which Honestly, if you're 50% on the kill uh, in in a single night, that's not good. Huskies were one for three on the power play, by the way. So uh, the other side of special teams picking them up as they usually have this season. Faceoff-wise, 30 for 55 for a 54.6% clip. Shots 28 aside. Dominic Bassey, an 821. Matthew Thiessen, uh an 893 for him. So, um, yeah, I, I think you look at this here um, – especially in this first night, a couple of really egregious turnovers, um, really all weekend, but especially tonight or that first night, uh, uh, you know, turnovers up the middle guys, you know, trying to force plays a little bit too much here. And I think that we've talked about, this is really the first time over the entire course of a weekend where St. Cloud looked like last year's team, where they looked like a team that tried to force too many plays. They weren't able to alleviate pressure. They weren't, their decision making was poor. Um, yeah, it wasn't ideal. It carried over into the second night. The other thing too, and credit Duluth for this, it's been a long time since St. Cloud has basically not played with a lead, right? Like mm-hmm. it's in fact St. Cloud. I, if I'm not mistaken, oh, they did. St. Cloud led for about three minutes and 24 seconds over the entire course of the weekend. It was in period number two of the first night. They led 2-1. Other than that, St. Cloud did not carry a lead this weekend. You know, And that's something where that's a position that St. Cloud has not been in a whole lot this season. Maybe this was good for the Huskies in the sense to see like, hey, we're in control when we're ahead in hockey games, but if we fall behind, we're – we're struggling to have a bit of resolve against some of these NCHC opponents right now here. Six to three was the score on Saturday. Attendance was 51-48. I'm sure uh, everyone in Duluth thought, oh, maybe it was a one-off, and I guess we won't show up. But uh, St. Cloud must have joined them in that endeavor. Um, and this, I thought this night, although the score was closer until the end with the empty netter, um, was not ideal. Uh, shots, 36-27 St. Cloud. Uh, St. Cloud two for five on the power play. So again, special teams playing a factor. Duluth two for three on the power play. Huskies only one successful kill. Of course, Duluth opened up the game with two power play goals and a shorty. 
mm-hmm. in period number one to make it three nothing. St. Cloud responded with their pair of power play goals in the second period before Duluth scoring at even strength with four and a half minutes left in that period. Uh, Ethan Acoin made it interesting before Isaac Howard responded and then the empty netter from Dominic James to cap off this hockey game. Huskies were 47.6% in the faceoff circle. Dominic Bassey had an 808. Um, sorry, it wasn't Bassey. It was... Caster. Uh, yeah, I think it was Caster on, on the second night. I might have wrote Bassey. Uh, and Stayskull, 33 on 36. Um, for a 917, Stayskull did everything he had to do on the Duluth side of things. Let me pull up that box just to make sure um, that I have the goaltenders right. Um, yeah, it was Bassey in night number two. Um let me pull up the first one. Yeah, it was Caster night number one. I was going to say, I thought I, I thought I wrote one of those wrong. So um, with that being said, uh, we talked about the goaltending situation and, you know, people said Dominic Bassi was the guy. Then Jackson Castro had a couple of good weekends. We thought he was going to be the guy. Um, goaltending was not ideal. They didn't get a lot of help when it no. came to the turnovers. Is this the first time that we're seeing what the crack, the chink in the armor looks like for St. Cloud. If their defensive structure is not great and you're able to threaten the middle of the ice or create turnovers, this goaltending tandem can only do so much. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I think the other big question, though, as we look at this is, so what is, so, so what is it, right? So why is it that this team, which was so good five on five in the early parts of the year, right? Uh, felt like they were controlling, they were, managing the puck well. Um, so was it just they were caught off guard by UMD? You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of really the reasons yeah. why this is why this is, right? Because UMD has, I mean, for lack of it, they've been a not a great team this year. Yeah, they've been um, a real thorn in St. Cloud's side. They have been. Though. Um, so with all that aside, you, you kind of wonder what happened in terms of what was going on, right? Was it, you know, was it the panic of them looking at the matchup too closely you know, as a distraction per se, or was it like they put pressure on themselves a bit? You know, I, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to find a reason why in particular this team, which a had not scored at all this year, put up 11 goals on the Huskies. Yeah. You, know? you, you look at, uh, um, which I believe is a weekend record uh, by far for Huskies giving up goals over the course of a weekend. But um you talk about the loss of Dylan Anhorn, and certainly he solidifies the defensive pairings very good. But I think one thing that he brought to the table that maybe the defensive core was missing in the sense of veteran leadership a little bit here, mm-hmm. the stability to keep the core grounded a little bit. I think when you're young, you know, I think if you're Jack Pierre, Josh Lidke, who both had some really tough games this weekend, I think it's easy to maybe kind of get inside your own head or kind of follow that emotional path a little bit versus if you've been there, you've done that, you're able to kind of balance the team and, you know, keep the guys grounded a little bit. I think that's where you miss Dylan Anhorn a little more than his on ice play, which is on ice play has been exceptional, but the game of hockey doesn't change. You still have to get the puck out of your zone. You still have to hit first pass on the tape. You still have to have a good four check. You still got to put pucks on net. The game has not changed drastically in that regard right. <laughs> in, a, in a couple decades at least. So, um, I think that's what they miss when when you take away take the conversation with Dylan Anhorn. Now, I think that there's a lot of people that were out there, of course, that were hard on Lidke and Jack Peart, and a lot of people have really kind of written Jack Peart pretty, yeah. pretty difficult uh, about this uh, this stuff and you know his first pass type of things and 
you know, the structure that he brings to his game. I think the thing that we have to realize here, he's 19, 20 years old. I mean, he's a true sophomore and there's going to be growing pains here. And St. Cloud state is such a good team that we expect that standard from everybody in the lineup. Um, now I'll be the first one to admit Jack and Josh did not play well this weekend. Yep. No, they did. But I also think that when you attach the tag of second round draft pick, Minnesota, Mr. Hockey, Minnesota wild prospect, when you attach those taglines behind somebody's name, I think there's this expectation that, oh, well, he should be flourishing. He should be the racehorse running the ship. Oh, with Dylan Anhorn out, he should be the guy. Not to say that we don't want him in that position, not to say that he's not capable of that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you've got to let things kind of play out. You have to let guys go through that development path. And these growing pains are unfortunately a big part of it. And I think to to write Jack Peart off a season and a half into his Huskies career as a 20-year-old, I, it's not relevant. And the reality of this oh. weekend is – you look at the standings, St. Cloud one point behind Omaha with the same number of games played. Two or three points behind Denver. Denver's got a game in hand because of next weekend's series. And it will be two games in hand by the end of the weekend. St. Cloud dropped to five in the pairwise last I had looked yes, this morning. Five. Correct. We're not done here. This is oh. not the doom and gloom scenario that everyone wants to make it out to be. Now, does it definitely wake up the caution flags and tell us, okay, there might be something deeper here, especially defensively and especially special teams defensively that we really need to take a long, heavy look at? Yes. But at the same time, this team has shown us they're good enough to contend. When they're on, they're on. Take last weekend, for example. They dominated Denver. They dominated a top four team in the country last weekend. Mm Mm-hmm. There's still time to remedy and right the ship. This is the first full weekend that St. Cloud has looked piss poor. Yeah. For example, they've had their single game blips against Miami, Bemidji, CC, like we talked about. And so the CC series wasn't necessarily great overall, but they got the job done. And sometimes that's what you have to do as a good team. You have Miami next weekend. A great chance to right the ship, number one, but two, vindicate some demons and show that this Duluth weekend and the Miami game was a fluke and you're not to be messed around with. It's going to take a better defensive effort. I think against a team like Miami, you can grow in that regard, but caution flags are up. Red alarm bells are not on right now. Not yet, (laughs) but it's, but it's certainly something to look at. I'm not concerned as of yet. The damage was not extensive to St. Cloud as far as being a tournament lock, being a one or two seed, which is a great spot to be in college hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, you're one of the top eight teams out of 62. But Nick, how did you see this weekend for St. Cloud? Is, I mean, should we be panicking? Is there something that that I'm missing here? No, I mean, if you're the team, right? I think this is your wake-up call, right? And, and you have to. The, the, what will, the answer will come more clear what happens this next weekend. Right. And that's really yeah. what it is. Is is this a trend? Is this something that is gonna go beyond this weekend? If that is, then we can, you know, raise the panic alarm. And I think rightfully so. However, if you are gonna get kicked in the mouth and you're gonna get kicked in the mouth by a team that knows you very well, yep. um, yeah, it hurts you in the pairwise. 
Um, I'm more concerned about the mentality of the players. How do they look at the situation, right? Are they going to look at it as, okay, yeah, that happened. That was crap, but we got to get it out of our minds. So we short have to remember it. We have to, we, exactly. You have to have short memory and we know we are a good team. We know that when we play the brand of hockey that Brett Larson and the coach staff wants us to play one of the best teams in the country. And as long as you are able to recover, and again, it's about the response, right? You talk about the response of hockey teams. That's the important part. So if we're going to sit here and dwell and moan and, and whine about this weekend, we can. I think that's that's okay because it wasn't a great showing. In fact, it was the worst we've seen this team this all, all year, right? Yep. And it hurts more than the fact that this, you know, the team that we are playing against, albeit you talked about it before, a doomsday scenario, which is this is a team that is not great, but it's an interconference rival. It's a team that apparently likes to get up and play this team whenever they get the chance to. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of it, you got to forget about it. And if you let this hang around until next weekend and you carry over some of those habits or those, you know, decision making, whatever you want to call it to next weekend, that's where the season can start to slip away. So, yeah. so short term, not great, but if you can leave it this weekend and, and park it, park and ride, as Daryl Sutter would say, right? Um, then, then, then okay, right? You've you've learned your lesson. But if you let it sit there and carry it with you on the plane ride, that's where trouble will start to really emerge. I would love to see a plane ride between Duluth and St. Cloud, but uh, <laughs> beyond that, um, you know, that's the thing too. Is yes, you you still have a chance to tie the pairwise battle. You beat this team yeah. two more times. You're just fine. It's you made your life difficult yeah. with, with what happened this weekend, but there's still an opportunity. I will say the one thing that is fun that came out of this NCH has gotten a lot more interesting here, Nick. Uh, uh, like, yeah. like we said, Denver at 32 points, Omaha, St. Cloud, Western in two, three, four, 30, 29, 28 points. Then, Minnesota Duluth, North Dakota, CC at 5, 6, and 7, 22, 21, 20 points. We are getting to some yeah. interesting matchups here. CC could use a bounce or two uh, in the next couple of weeks. Miami, of course, pulling up the rear at 7. Hopefully that doesn't grow in the next weekend, of course. For those curious, St. Cloud has Miami at home next weekend before a four-game road swing, two in North Dakota and two at okay. Omaha. That's a tough stretch. That then is. they come, then they finish off the season the first week of March at home against Duluth. So um, it's not going to be easy, but nope. certainly certainly keep an eye on how uh, this Huskies team responds here. So um, other things, let me see if there's anything else that we have to take a look at. I don't think there is. Why don't we take a quick glance at the pairwise since we're here? Um, like you mentioned, St. Cloud at five, Michigan at four, BU jumping to three. They jumped like seven or eight spots this weekend. They had a very yeah. good showing. Quinnipiac at two, everybody's favorite, right? And then Minnesota, the kiss of death at number one, right? I would imagine St. Cloud dropped a lot of their first place votes in the polls. I would be shocked if they get any. Any, yeah. Um, yeah. They might get one or two, I would say. But uh, Penn State at six, Denver down to seven. Uh, Ohio yeah. State at eight, Harvard at nine, Western at ten. Cornell is at 11. Cornell's had a really good surge as of late. They have, yep. Hey, how, how many times have we said this before? Hey, Tech's at 12. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, They're Michigan, hanging around. Michigan, or Michigan State. Minnesota State at 13. Mankato has won seven or eight straight, I think. Eight, eight in a row. Yep. Yeah, um, they've really bounced back well. Uh, how scary would that be, by the way, if Mankato is like 11 or 12 and they're a, a four seed? <laughs> 
uh that would be the, i mean you talk about the ultimate doomsday scenario and here's the thing they got uh, a really nice forward uh simon tassie who uh, joined them you know he was rehabbing a, a long-term knee injury i believe uh has joined him he's uh let's just say fit right in and shall yeah. say he's a, a kind of a wizard with the puck in terms of creating space and, and creating offense and that was the one thing that minnesota state was kind of struggling with earlier this year they seemed to find it as what david Celia, i think is the leader in their goals department um and despite the injuries that they've sustained, uh, they've figured things out. And so uh, watch out uh, and especially watch out um, for a goal um, happening with the puck going underneath the goal in the championship game. So, <laughs> you know, what? it's interesting. And I know that they don't go straight off the pairwise. I know they take polling and they take regional factors into consideration. Mm-hmm. But theoretically, Nick. Theoretically, yes. Minnesota would have, of course, the Atlantic Hockey auto bin, whoever that might be. Um However, the top team in Atlantic Hockey, RIT, is at 15 right now. So theoretically, if nobody won their other conference matchups, RIT would have Quinnipiac. BU would have Mankato. Michigan would have Michigan Tech. <laughs> I believe. Oh, Notre Dame. Sorry, Notre Dame. Notre Dame would have BU. Michigan would have Mankato, actually, at 13. Tech would get St. Cloud. There's an old matchup right there. Penn Penn State would get Cornell, Western, Denver, Ohio State, Harvard. So you want to talk about intriguing. How about this? I wonder when the last time, if ever, I'm sure it's happened before, um, two Atlantic hockey teams have made the big dance. RIT at 15 right now. So um, interesting. Uh, Omaha at 17, UConn at 18, Northeastern, North Dakota at 20. Um, You look a little more favorably on this North Dakota matchup, though, knowing that you did well against them earlier in the season, and now they're not so far on the outside looking in. Um, You feel good about that weekend in two weeks. Merrimack at 21, Fairbanks at 22, UMass Lowell, Providence, Duluth at 25. Other Minnesota schools, Bemidji at 28. Maine has climbed to 31, by the way. Good for them. Colorado College at 33, along with our buddies, Wisconsin. I know you love that, Nick. I know, um, right? <laughs> And then Miami is at 46 right now. So a lot of things to keep an eye on here in the men's hockey world. Is there anything you wanted to add before we flip over to the women? Yeah, just if anything, for St. Cloud fans, yes, piss and moan. Yes, that's okay this weekend. But let's try to have an open mind for next weekend. Um, yeah. Because again, it's it's one thing to have a bad weekend, and if there's anything, probably the last weekend they could afford it. Let's let's be honest, right? Because you don't want to have it in the next three weekends. Yeah, I would uh, say you maybe want- you could afford a, a a subpar weekend against North Dakota based on where they're at. But really, now it's we're getting to that point. You you can't right. drop one against Miami this weekend. No, you can't. You can't. You no. you do that. You drop two games to a team who's 46 in the pairwise that's you'll be lucky to be a two seed yep and you'll be lucky at this point to uh talking about emergency flashers hopefully a fire extinguisher will be going off too so now now if st cloud outshoots miami you know 46 to 12 and they Mm -hmm. lose 2-1 in overtime different story but like if they come out and they lose much but yeah yeah, but if they come out and they lose 4-1 and they play flat and they don't do what they're supposed to do, you know, some nights, I, let's be real, Ludwig Pearson, um, I guess previewing the St. Cloud matchup against Miami, Ludwig Pearson, you know, has the ability to disrupt a hockey game and keep this Red Hawk team in it. Uh, I mean, 
is there is there anything about Miami that scares you besides the pairwise? Is there anything about their actual play that scares you coming into this matchup? They just they don't back down. You know, yeah, they got yeah. kicked in the mouth this past weekend against North Dakota, but um, you know, the one thing that we talked about with them, you know, before the season began, again, this team they're they're still not great. Um as far as talent levels concerned, but they haven't gone away quietly. And right. to be fair, wasn't that the same kind of challenge that UMD posed to St. Cloud this past weekend, which is, you know, we're going to come out and, you know, against what at that point were the better teams in the country. And we're just going to, you know, give it a shot. We're going to give it our all. And the targets on their back, not ours. Right. We have nothing to lose. Right. That's what's scary is the fact that I think St. Cloud has the mentality of, Oh crap, we're kind of in a, a, a spot where we got to get back to our game where Miami's like, we're just going to come in and just play our game and we're you know, relaxed, you know, and they like to score goals in bunches too. And they like to cluster goals together. I think that's the scary thing for Huskies fans is of course, that was another game where the PK really struggled. Got to stay out of the box uh, and don't give the Red Hawks more opportunity than, you know, they need to have. Mm-hmm. That goes with any opponent, but this Miami team, their one strength has been when you give them an open door, they like to score in bunches and then they'll try to hang on to a lead and play that shutdown style of defense. So should right. be an interesting one. Um, but yeah, Huskies definitely need to write the ship. Uh, let's move over to the women's side here. That's enough about the men <laughs> for now. Um, WCHA women, uh, of course, a couple scores to recap from last weekend. Duluth traveled to St. Thomas last week. Uh, they won 3 nothing and 5-1 did the Bulldogs. Uh, and we're done talking about the Bulldogs too. Um, <laughs> Mankato. Uh, traveling to Wisconsin last week. Wisconsin 2-1 and 6-0 were the victories there. So this week, Minnesota traveling to Duluth. It was the Gophers, a pair of victories, 3-1 and 4-3. The Gophers staving off the Duluth Bulldog train that is their women's program. Uh, Mankato, Ohio State, OSU winning both of those 6-2 and 4-2. Wisconsin beating St. Thomas 6-1 and 3-0. And St. Cloud, it was a sweep they had to have. 2-0 and 2-1. Second one on Hockey Day, Minnesota. First night, Enina uh, Newland, her 12th of the season from Clara Himlerova and Grace Wolf on the power play in the first period. And then a power play goal in the second. Addie Scribner, nice goal for her from Olivia Savar and Dale Ross. Uh, Dale Ross laying the thunder this weekend, by the way, with some physicality for sure. Some yes. a little bit over the line, but uh, yeah, it, yeah, you know. Uh, St. Cloud 2 for 7 on the power play. A lot of opportunities left. Penalty filled a fair in that first one. 0 for 3 were, was Bemidji State, of course. Huskies 32 for 56 in the faceoff dot at 57%. Um, Bemidji State out shooting St. Cloud by 4, 32 to 27. Jojo Choback, perfect, stopping all 32. Hannah Hogetson, uh 25 of 27 for a 926, which is not a bad consolation <laughs> no. uh, point on this. And then, of course, the second night, the game that you did, Nick, which was a very exciting contest. Um, yeah. Great comeback from the Huskies. They looked very flat in the first half of that game and then they really kind of turned it on. Um, of course, Bemidji State on the power play, a nice little redirect in the middle of the second period, got them on the board. And the Huskies, a pair of third period goals, Addie Scribner and Courtney Hall from Emma Gentry, Svenja Vote, Dale Ross, and Clara Himlerova, that nice little wraparound from Courtney Hall, Ends up being the difference maker. Huskies are 0 for 1 in the man advantage. Midji State 1 for 3. The PK has been exceptional for this women's team, so I'm not too worried about that. It was a nice redirect. Good that luck. Was. Uh, face-off percentage, though, 37.5%, 21 for 56. Yeah, Bemidji uh, was owning them in the face-off dot yesterday for sure. Yeah, 27-26 shots on goal for St. Cloud. Sonia Hola had a 9-6-2. 
only allowing one on 26 shots. Hannah Hogetson had a 926 again, 25 of 27. I mean, she had a great weekend. I she thought did. it's hard to fault her. Um, but yeah, Nick, especially on Saturday, I mean, St. Cloud got it done. Attendance of 278 on Saturday, 378 on Friday. It's seriously disappointing that on Hockey Day in Minnesota, you can't put 300 people in that building. Uh, I, I, honestly, we talked about Huskies fans, like, get to a game. That's that's shameful. Um, but with, with that being said, uh, what wasn't shameful, this Huskies team got the job done, Nick. What did you see? What did you like? And it, and it came in a, in a in a type of way that we're not used to seeing the Huskies pull it off, right? Where yeah. th- this team has historically struggled in games that they trail. Um, and again, the, the start in this game was flat on both sides. It was a lot of, you know, kind of feeling each other out. And you could tell that the there was a focus on uh, better puck decisions because I believe, again, penalty filled affair on Friday, right? So you know uh, that both coaches were like, hey, Let's not give the other team a chance, right? Let's not give them, you know, free ice per se. Um, so there was a lot of just, you know, I, I'm trying to be very careful with the puck. So skating wasn't, you know, at the top end. Uh, you know, there was a lot of icing calls. You know, there's a lot of contested pucks. Um, I, I thought uh, Bemidji actually did a really good job of standing up at their own blue line and really disrupting St. Cloud's entries into the zone. Um, so, you know, how, do you, how did they fix that? Well, first period was, for lack of a better word, it was... It was kind of a, uh, it just kind of was a coaster to push, you know, and again, I think both teams are just kind of timid. Yeah. And then in the second period, things started to open up a little bit. Um, and then again, that beautiful power play redirection. Um, uh, was it Vekic that got? Yep. Yep. Vekic. Yep. yep. Uh, just kind of got lost uh, behind the just, you know, great timing play. Uh, that was actually a very beautiful setup by Bemidji. Uh, again, got lost behind the net, came out. And by the time she, Landed on the side of the crease. The puck was on her stick and a beautiful deflection. Not much you can do, uh, you know, in that. So beautifully executed power play. And then uh, St. Cloud uh, tried to wake themselves up a little bit. Uh, finally did in the third, uh, again, with Addie Scribner. And it just the puck found her stick. And, you know, for the young kids out there, have your stick on the ice at all times. Again, it's it just a great drive by Emma Gentry. And then Scribner just kind of poked it and ended up just beating Hoganson all along the ice. I don't think she really saw it. There was traffic there. I uh, really get like, a credit to Emma Gentry, who really made that whole play happen with just being essentially like a bowl towards the net. And then on the wraparound, again, just a net mouth scramble where the puck ends up in the skates of Courtney Hall. She goes skate to stick, goes to the wraparound and is able to beat. Oh, what, a, be- be- what a beautiful oh. move. So patient. Yeah. Very, very patient move. Um, you know, there's a lot of athletes that would try to bring that puck on the same side and just try to continue jamming. But, you know, notice that Holgensen was maybe away from the crease a little bit, maybe overcommitted, and then a loose puck just decided, you know what, I'm going to try to beat her the opposite post. She did. And, uh, yeah, the Huskies really, after they tied the game, they finally woke up. Um, we yeah. saw that. And, um, of course, we'll, we'll probably touch on some of the other things that happened that, you know, I, I wonder if that affected Bemidji a bit too, but uh, overall, uh, St. Cloud able to just kind of hang around. Again, they got great goaltending from a hole. made a couple of key saves. Holginson was also really, really good, uh, in, uh, in this game. And, um, again, like I said, Husky was able to pull it off and got the season sweep against Bemidji winning all four contests. Yeah, certainly very important there. I'm trying to look here to see, um, the record for WCHA wins for this program right now, I'm trying to figure it out. They've had a bunch of seasons with 11 wins. They're at eight, they're at eight and 14 in conference play right now. Yep. Right now, 05, 06, they were 13, 14 and one in the WCHA. They had another season with 12. Um, really it's been since, 
Oh, late 2000s, mid 2000s. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say, let's see, I just had it up here. Um, I believe 2010, they won 11 games. Ever since then, I don't think they've been above, they had eight Not and nine. Business, yeah. Yeah. So um, they, they had eight in 2014 15. So they've tied that. Um, sorry, that's not WCHA. That's overall. Sorry. Um, so WCHA, this, if I'm not mistaken, is the most wins this women's program has had in conference play. Yeah. In fact, they set a program record for the most wins in the first half of the year under Idolsky. So, um, and you know, what's interesting. So that, um, that season is probably the best. It's, it is the best season they've had since, since this year. Mm-hmm. That team was 15, 14, and eight on the season. A lot of OT finishes in that mm-hmm. um, time. St. Cloud overall, they are 15, 14, and zero mm-hmm. this year. This team has a minus eight goal differential overall. Um, a little bit worse in conference play because of some of those big dog teams that they've played. But, mm-hmm. um, and a couple of that game against the Gophers, obviously. But, um, this team is not your grandma's St. Cloud Huskies. This nope. team has seriously impressed. They've been much improved even on, in the first season under Idolski. And of course, Janelle Sergey has put in time and effort. I, I like, I don't think she gets highlighted enough for the work that she puts in the recruiting and some of the little things that she brings as a former Olympian, former national champion. And I, uh, you know, this St. Cloud team, the idea of them getting home ice is probably uh, statistically out of the question now after last weekend. It'd be pretty tough. But they're sitting fifth right now and would have Duluth in that first matchup. They're four points ahead of Mankato after the weekend. This was finally the hockey that we expected from them. They've kind of struggled in recent weeks. They've found a way to right the ship against Bemidji. Do you feel like this could be a springboard weekend to push them into what's going to be a, a, the next couple of weekends? They have all, they have Wisconsin in Wisconsin this weekend, Tough. but I feel, but I, yeah, but I feel like this Badgers team is beatable this year. I think that St. Cloud could, are. could come away with a victory. If they not are. Two. And yeah. one thing that I talked with Idolski last week uh, in preparation for this weekend's matchup was he felt like they could have won against Ohio State. Again, they dropped one in overtime on that Saturday matchup, and he talked about just trying to play all 60 minutes the same way and just executing their game plan. And so he does feel confident that they can hang around as long as they're keeping, again, that tight window uh, on defense and then executing, especially on special teams and making the most of their opportunities offensively, which he admitted against Ohio State and some of these bigger clubs, you're not going to get many of them. Um, You know, and you can see that with Emma Gentry, too. With Every time she touched the puck, she was looking to drive to the net. Um, very yeah. impressive. I thought, you know, Emma Gentry was actually the best player on the ice, um, the three centers in Larova and as well as Janina Newland. Um, an embarrassment of riches. In fact, Idolsky said that as of Emma Gentry, a late blooming athlete, and he even said she's an Olympic caliber athlete. And I think with her size, I mean, she's what, 5'11? She's a, she's, you know, she's got some size to her. Um, she looks good. She does. Yeah. She's, she's, I think, kind of underappreciated in the Huskies roster, especially with the fact that Taylor Lind is still out nursing a lower body injury. Uh, <laughs> Idolski kind of uh, alluded to me on Monday that Lind wasn't going to be in the lineup, but then they put her on the um, the opening lineup and she dressed for warmups, but she's she's not ready. So uh, I think they're just trying to get her a little bit, you know, keeping the feels out there, you know, just, you know, 
making sure that she's still prepping for games, that kind of thing. But from what I understand, she's still maybe a couple of weeks out from joining the team. If they get yeah. back, that's huge. Yeah, I think, you know, playoff push there. Like you mentioned, Emma Gentry. Yes, she is five foot eleven and absolutely cheesing in her St. Cloud State profile she photo, is. by the way, too. So mm-hmm. um, Wisconsin this weekend, like we talked about, Minnesota Duluth um, on the road the following weekend. And they cap off the regular season at home against Mankato. So you want to talk about deciding your own fate. You have an opportunity in the last six games of the regular season before playoff time. You do. comes around, of course. Uh, St. Thomas travels to Bemidji this weekend. Uh, Duluth travels to Mankato. So, uh, really no winners. <laughs> You're hoping for no. a split split in regulation there. Um, or, I guess, at worst, uh, gosh, I don't even know. I mean, maybe a Duluth sweep if it's going to be a sweep one way and at least keep yourself in fifth in the WCHA. But, yeah. Right. Not ideal. Uh, Not Ohio ideal way. Yeah, Ohio State travels to Minnesota. That'll be a big boy matchup. Uh, yes, it will be. Whatever the equivalent <laughs> would be on the women's side there. Um, I'm not going to approach that. But uh, with that being said, like this this women's team here, uh, you know, getting back to the structure that made them successful. And I think that, you know, we don't get a chance to highlight them often enough and, the, and how good that they're playing just because of all the chaos going on with the men's teams. And, you know, unfortunately for us and our stuff sometimes it's hard to catch both the women's games uh, you know and get a sizable comparison at times uh but it as we kind of talk about this women's team is there like anything you feel especially as they only have one regular season home weekend remaining that's february 17th and 18th mm-hmm. what should huskies fans know about this team as you know this could be their last chance to watch them at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center in a while. And that's not saying that if they're on the road in the first round of the playoffs, that not that they're playing badly. It's just this team is good and people don't realize it. So I'll take a, a, com- a conversation we had with with Brian Idolsky. And, you know, the one, you know, we had a very honest conversation. I asked him about, you know, what uh, what he saw in terms of taking the job. And what he said was when I was here 15 years ago, I've always believed we could win here because there's no reason if the men's team can have success, why can't the women's? Here's a fun fact for you guys. Talking to Idolski, we were chatting about Hockey Day and some of that, you know, small hockey community connections, right? Here's here's something fun. So Idolski and Brett Larson were on the same minor league team, the Madison Monsters in 95-96 of the old Colonial Hockey League. Not only the same team, but from what I understand, they're the same defensive pairing. Here's another kind of fun fact. The head coach of that squad, WCHA head coach, or for Wisconsin, Mark Johnson. Yeah. Why do I bring that up? Brian Adelski, under Mark Johnson, you get the belief that you have to believe to win. When he came in, he said, yes, there was a culture change. We had to have tough conversations with our players about how to be a Division One athlete. Those are his words, not mine. And you can see the results on the ice. You can. He said that, you know, yeah, it's true. We, we you know, if you're going to compare talent to talent, yeah, there's there's a gap there. That's fine. He goes, but what I challenged my girls is, who are we got working? Who, who are we being smarter with the puck with? He goes, if we can work hard and we can commit to the way that we want to play, we have a chance. That's where it's going to come. And I will tell you this from what I've watched. It's again, early this season and again yesterday. This team can work hard. They've got talent. They have the chance to make noise. And when you consider where this team was a year ago, when we were asking the questions after 
essentially another disappointing year, right? That we could see that the talent level was there and just we weren't maximizing it. And for Idelski to come in and to, you know, essentially allow this team to bloom under his watch the way that it has. And give them a sense of direction. I feel like it it, it wasn't, I feel like under Steve McDonald, it was more, we're going to kind of throw darts at a dartboard and hopefully one of them sticks versus Mm -hmm. with Brian Idelski, it's here's the roadmap. Here's the single point we're trying to get to. This is the ladder we've got to climb. And this is the direction we have to go. This is the style we have to play. These are the adjustments we have to make. And it's not, oh, well, we'll adjust the game plan so that we keep it close. Oh, we'll have the game plan so that, you know, maybe we can buy a goal against Ohio State. It's this is how we're going to establish the forecheck. This is how we're going to be the aggressor. This is how we're going to take control. This is how we're going to win hockey games. And on top of that, either get on board or the train's leaving you behind. Yep. Yep. So accountability has been there. So for fans, going back to your original question, what are they missing? They're missing a team that I believe is on the rise. I believe that he, they have the right head coach. Um, again, it took, if, you, if folks remember when he took over North Dakota, it took him a couple of years to be a contender. He's got this team ranked for the first time since what, the mid 2000s? And take and take a lesson from North Dakota. My dad mentioned this to me too. He said, and this was no fault of Brian's, but think about how much he turned that North Dakota program around yeah, and and they lost their program partially because of funding, but partially because of attendance and a lot of other, let's be frank, factors. Yeah, a lot of other bullshit bringing yeah. rec- bringing recruits in and then cutting your program two days later, ridiculous. Um, but beyond that, look what happens to teams who continue to turn it around but don't get attendance and don't get support. You have to go and watch this hockey team. You have to be supporting St. Cloud, um, and it's very likely if they stay in the spot that they're in, their matchup will be an interstate matchup in the first round of the playoffs. Travel, follow this team, support this team. They could definitely use it because they are a fun, fun hockey team to watch. And Brian Idalski and Janelle Sergey have done a, an exceptional job of turning what we always believed was a group of very good individual players into a cohesive unit that has done some serious, serious damage to the WCHA. And, and, and to finish off the remarks, uh, one thing Brian Idalski wanted to uh, make sure everybody else outside the hockey world know is that how much he really believes and trusts his assistant coaches against yes. Sergey and, and Mira. Um, he's like, I, we wouldn't be here without them. He goes, they really, a lot of credit goes to them. So he, he really compliments his staff, um, compliments the players that again, that have, you know, bought into what they want to be as a hockey team on the ice, as well as, you know, how to carry themselves outside the ring too, which again was something we talked about earlier. So, this team is it's changing and it's changing yeah. for the good. And uh, again, uh, I, I would be hard pressed for fans out there to not watch this team because um, it, it's kind of like what we did for St. Thomas last year in the men's side, which is they were kind of like this team that, you know, was the new kid on the block and then they started to win and then they started to be competitive, right? This is the exact same energy for the women's side. You know, they're a team yeah. that's coming up, they're, they're playing much better brand of hockey. Um, and they can only go up from here. So catch them seriously. You know, you know what's interesting? I was watching the game when St. Cloud, of course, went up two one yesterday, and then Bemidji was trying to formulate a game plan, essentially, and mm-hmm. uh, um, try to get back in that game. And of course, Bemidji hasn't had the greatest season. Same with uh, same with St. Thomas. And uh, I was watching the I was watching the head coaching staff when they put the camera on Bemidji's bench, and I was like gosh, I wonder how difficult that must be to 
you know, be in that position knowing that your program's like struggling and you're just, you're scratching and clawing for a win. And then I sat there for five seconds and I thought that was us. Yeah. That was us the past five years. And now we are no longer in that conversation. We are now a contender in the middle of the pack in the WCHA. And that's an exceptional thing to, um, to think about. Uh, and, uh, you know, the other thing that I think is really exciting about St. Cloud is whoever designs the ponytails and whoever ties the hair for St. Cloud certainly does a good job, you know, cause even if it gets pulled, apparently you can still win hockey games, <laughs> whatever that melee was at the end of that last year was the Jersey yeah, tug on the men's side. And now it's hair pulling on the women's side. That was, I, I couldn't yeah. believe that I was watch. I was like, you know, uh, 15 for Bemidji was going absolutely bonkers. And then 23 comes in and I'm just like, Oh, they're, they're just kind of, kind of engage. And then I saw her, you could see her kind of like starting to reach around and I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, she did it. Okay. Um, and then of course chaos ensued. And anytime, anytime I was waiting for John Cena to come up from the top rope. Well, I mean, anytime, anytime you get, you know, if you're coming off the bench for a win and you know, McKenna Westlow is going to be over there, you know, you're about to get your ass kicked. Like that's just, <laughs> it's game over. You can't, you can't be doing that. So uh, yeah, a great win for the team. Of course, another, um, another great piece of news, by the way, Nick, we should probably touch on this before we go over to the Minnesota wild piece of this yep. too. Did have a player uh, take a, take a, a hit in the game for Bemidji state, uh, end up collapsing on the bench and ended up heading to the hospital all signs seem to be okay. She headed back home with her family last night. Mm -hmm. um, kind of a scary situation and kind of an awkwardly developing one uh, from your point of view doing the game yesterday. Yeah, we didn't see it, right? Because, um, again, the player was on the bench. And, you know, at first when the whistle blew, we thought, okay, this is maybe an offsides call. I mean, it was kind of like, wait, that wasn't offsides. And then we saw some players maybe going toward the bench. We thought maybe it's an equipment issue. Like, was there a goalie thing? We didn't see what happened, right? And then all of a sudden you see um, fast moving people, right? Um, yeah. You saw medical personnel come on board. And I believe the, it was Taylor Larson, the defense. Taylor Larson, yep. um, We saw what appeared to be, it looked like a parent. And again, in the broadcast, and I think this is important for people to recognize, it's not our job to speculate. It's yeah. not, right? So although there were signs pointing towards a specific player, you can never, you know, you never want to go out on a limb on a situation like that. Um, and again, we we didn't know even at the time that there was a medical emergency. So when we understood there was a, a longer pause and then when we saw that teams were heading towards the locker room, that's when it's like, okay, something's going on here. So we went to commercial break and tried to, uh, you know, essentially try to see what was happening during what essentially two minutes. Right. And for those who understand or don't understand how television works, you know, it's not like we have someone calling up and say, hey, this is what's happening. No. We're yeah. completely in the dark. So, you know, and then when the stretcher came out, it's like, okay, uh, something serious, right? The benches are clear. And so yeah. you're, you're kind of caught in no man's land and because people are looking to you on the broadcast for information. They're looking for, wait, well, hey, what's happening? They, you know, and, and it's human instinct to want specifics, right? And I understand that. Yeah. But again, it's like we, again, we had no clue. So, and, and that's the thing too is, sorry to cut you off, but that's the thing too is that, even if you're starting to get specifics or you're starting to see what's developing, you also don't want to overplay the situation in the sense where you don't want to instill like fear or panic. And like you mentioned, of course, she, she's a, she's a brainerd gal. So of course her parents were in the building, which is, which is really nice um, that they were there. But beyond that too, even if you see that there's something that's going on, 
you also want to relay it in a way that not that it's surface level, but where you're not, you don't need to be describing every detail and you want to keep it to a sense of there's medical staff on scene and they're doing their best to move forward instead of being, yeah. instead of saying, Oh, they're grabbing the arm and now they're doing like you do you, your role as a broadcaster is to, is to give the general scope of the piece, but also kind of respect the dignity of a player in that vulnerable right. moment type of thing. Yeah. So uh, it is a challenging process. And I know there were people on like Twitter who are like, Oh, the broadcasters are oblivious. And I'm like, part of that is true because you guys don't know what's going on. But even Correct. if you know what's going on, it's all about relaying the information in a way that, is appropriate for the situation as well too. And that's being tactful right. as an experienced broadcaster as well too. So, Correct. Um, so there's a lot of components at play, but I think the most important one is knowing that she was on her way home last night with family, Correct. which is. Yeah. And that, I think for us too, you know, when we talked, you know, uh, you know, during that process, right. Your, your head's kind of spinning because the, it, it's such a, it's such a balancing act, right. Because you don't want to be a total distraction because, the only thing that the cameras are looking at is a wide shot of the herb. People can see in the background, even if you've got the wide angle lens in the upper left hand corner right of the rink, that it's fixated on a structure that's still on the ice. You got medical personnel, you know, a rendering aid, at least the appearance of it on the bench. Again, a lot of it was hidden, right? So yeah. you know, we couldn't see it. And even if we did, right, it's like, let the pictures do the talking, right? You know, my, I believe in, in my role there is you're trying to, you're, you're trying to provide a, a bit of just a reality check of like, Hey, these things happen. You know, this is scary. You know, this is a still take away the, the competitive sport aspect. This is a yeah. human being that's undergoing a very scary moment. And at the end of it, the focus should be on the health and safety of the players. You know, what does it mean? And I think we touched on it a little bit later. You know, do we know if this game is going to resume? We didn't have a clue, right? Um, yeah. We still, we never got to that point um, where there was any sort of conversation about that. And again, we're getting stuff relayed in real time. And what I mean, what we got, we got nothing. And that's and that's why it's a wide angle shot, by the way, too. If those who remember the Clint Malarchuk situation from all those mm -hmm. years ago back in 89, you have that ISO cam on him and the cameraman immediately realizes that something serious is going on here and he's backing out of that shot. And that's why, mm -hmm. you know, also as a producer, too, you know, that's why you pull away and do that wide angle shot because it's, you know, do you, do you want to be in tight? Do you want to be able to figure out what's happening? Yes. But at the same time, the reality is you probably have that ISO shot on the replay booth so you can relay information to your broadcast team. But what you see on the TV screen is the wide angle because if there's something there that, mm -hmm. you know, respecting the dignity of a player who's down, you don't want to be in tight and you want to respect that. Uh, you know, right. decision and let the medical staff do what they have to do. Right. Um, and, and more importantly, Noah, it's it's less about what's happening and more about this is a human life. Right. Yeah. I think that's what people have to understand is, yep. you know, when that type of situation comes up and granted, this is my first as a broadcaster. Right. We There was a lot of conversation after the DeMar Hamlin incident with the SPN, how they handled it. Now, granted, a couple of the other factors were at play for that one. Right. There was yep. um, playoff seating implications. There were, uh, geez, you know, so many other factors but yep. still and, and, and it made the situation more than what it was and and yep. i get it like so in this you know yes it's hockey day but at the end of it take everything away there's a human being that's experiencing you know the what stress could, yeah. the stress right and yep. uh, that's was the focus right and i think as a broadcaster you know in the moment you're trying to find ways to talk about the human experience and you know trying to relay hey the hockey community yeah this is a tight one uh you know this is where we can really rally around and be supportive here right 
Um, I know for a fact Jim Scanlon and Ryan Idolski are very close, and I'm sure that those two have probably had some conversations after the game too. I can only imagine. Um, but again, the most important piece of news is, you know, like you said, um, it was. I think not long after um, the end of the game was that she was released from the hospitals heading home from the team again. Beyond that, we have no specifics. And as much as we're curious, does it really matter? Does it really matter? I think the important part is she's all right, at least from the scope that we know. Um, And, you know, we just hope that, you know, it's a full recovery and that there's no whatever happened lasting implications. So that's uh, number one thing is her health and safety. Yeah, I mean, they're college kids, right? You know, and the bigger right. thing is they've got, you know, other things in life that they're going to pursue and athletics are not everything. And, uh, you know, insert cheesy NCAA, only small percentage of these players go pro old retro commercial from the mid 2000s, right? I mean, it, but it is very true. I mean, a lot of players will go pro in something other than sports, as they used to say. So, um, but Hockey Day Minnesota was capped off with, unsurprisingly, a non-regulation finish in the Minnesota Wild game here. So let's flip over to them for our last topic of the show. Uh, The Minnesota Wild reclaimed third place in the Central once again. They were pushed out briefly yesterday by Colorado's victory. And what a weird little thing. I thought we were going to get a goalie fight in that one, Uh, Jordan Bennington. You just can't can't, uh, keep himself out of the boxing ring, can you? Oh, boy. Um, So Minnesota 26-17-4. They've got 56 points in the season, uh, a plus- 13 goal differential for them now. Uh, they lost to Tampa 4-2 in Tampa and then a pair of uh, non-regulation wins at home here before the All-Star game week. 3-2 overtime win against Philadelphia. Uh, Matt Boldy could have had a hat trick, could have had six in that game, honestly. Matt Zuccarello, a nice nifty uh, one-on-one move for the game winner there and a nice little chip shot over the glove side. And then Buffalo, 3-2, a shootout winner. Um, three scores for the Minnesota Wild in the shootout. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, Freddie Goudreau with the the shootout winner, so to speak. Kaprizov, a little bit lucky, but a nice little move there. And then uh, the opening shooter, why do I not remember who? who uh, that was Zuccarello. It was. Yeah, okay. Yep. Um, yeah, I only remember the end because I was excited about it. So, so. for Goudreau, or sorry, not for Goudreau. Yeah, Freddie Goudreau. I, I, don't, I don't know why it slipped on that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it was like the same move he's used, but the one thing he just did different, he didn't bicycle kick it. It's yeah. the same forehand, backhand, but he didn't uh, try to sell a shot. He just said, screw it. I'm just going to make the move, and I'll just going to try to beat you to one side of the, yeah. of the net, and he did. Well, you heard Goudreau, and you were still probably stuck on the fact that Johnny Goudreau had a penalty shot five minutes, and it was returned to Calgary, yeah, which that's is... probably what it was, yeah. Yeah, and he totally shanked it wide <laughs> right. Really shanked it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just to say the Calgary fans, let him, let him hear about it. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah, certainly I thought it was a bit tough on Johnny, by the way, but uh, he handled it with some pretty good class, too, so wishing him the best. But the Wild... Uh, putting themselves in the spot one point ahead of Colorado. And this is why it's important because Colorado is outside looking in because of the success in the Pacific division. Same so, games played too, which helps a little bit. Yes, it does. So yeah, you, the, the margin is razor thin here for these two teams and Colorado continues to get healthy. So uh, yep. a bit dangerous here as uh, we look, I, I had them listed here as for their last 10 is four, four and two before last night. I want to make sure that that's, the same or if it's different for the wild here and of course as usually happens the initial website likes to take its sweet time uh they are five four and one the wild are in their last 10 so mm-hmm. that is where they sit um of course they are off um for the weekend this upcoming weekend february 3rd and 4th their next game is monday february 6th they're in arizona then they're in dallas that wednesday and at home thursday and saturday against vegas and new jersey four games in the week coming off of the all-star game break not a good not an easy stretch 
No, it's not. Of course, the the festivities start on February 3rd for the All-Star Game weekend. The game is on Saturday the 4th. So um, pay attention to that uh, as the festivities get underway. And then we approach the final push towards the playoffs. Uh, Another thing to kind of point out here that was notable, if anything, uh, the Minnesota Wild scratching Ryan Hartman against Philadelphia. He played, of course, last night against Buffalo. Uh, What did you make of that? Let's start there. It's, I mean, he owned it, right? He said, hey, I'm I'm taking penalties at not the best, you know, junctures of the game. And unfortunately for the wild special teams, uh, they've been capitalizing on those and uh, he took ownership of it. I think it was a bit of a message sent by Dean Evison, which is, hey, and, and Ryan Hartman's been uh, yeah. kind of a greasy player, right? He's he's kind of like this interesting mix. So he's got some grip. He's also got a lot of skill. Gamer. He's a, fr- a former first round pick right. um, you know, in his career. But uh, I think, again, it's it's sometimes about where Dean understands where they're at. You know, there's a razor thin margin. And granted, if you, you take a look at the bigger wild card picture um, to be out of the playoffs, it's one point and it's Calgary. So and there's a little separation there. But do you want to be in the position where one point is either getting you in the playoffs or you're going to be in the outside looking in? No, you don't want to be in that spot. So uh, those sort of, you know, team hurting type scenarios where, you know, you could argue, is it an unnecessary penalties? That's where it is. So it's a message sent. Hey man, we, we yeah, we want you to play your game, but also make sure you're doing it. That's not going to put us in a bad spot. So, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I, I don't mind the message being sent. I don't think Hartman minded it either. I think he understood it. Um, but that's sort of, I think it was the right call. I think you have to send a message to the head coach. It's like, hey, we're in a tough battle here and every point is going to matter. Again, Colorado's getting healthy. Winnipeg and Dallas, they've slowed down a little bit, but they're still, um, as far as team plays, they're better, right? There's a reason why they're top of the central. So um, I don't read into it much more than that. I don't know if you've got a different uh, viewpoint on that, but I just look at, hey, it's just a a quick message sent and get back out and do your thing. Yeah, jumpstart a guy, definitely. I, I think, uh, you know, you see it deployed occasionally at the National Hockey League level, and I think that it can has the tendency to be effective, and I agree. I think that's all that it was. Just wanted to get your take on it as well. Uh, this wild team, though, of course, has to have a good push if they want to make the playoffs. Uh, like we yes. mentioned, five weeks and change for the trade deadline here. Uh, we've talked about Matt Dumba, and we've exhausted that with that piece and the little Shane Goss' bear discussion we had. Uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about Jordan Greenway on the block. Do the Wild make a move? And if so, what makes sense for them? That's tough. Um, because again, do you um, do you make the move because you think you need to? I think I think it's obvious. I think they want to get some more scoring punch. But here's the thing with Jordan Greenway. The grief line, when that line yeah. is, you know, that is a tone setting line. And when either Greenway's been out or Felina's been out, the whole team system like collapse. Yeah, I like, thought it was. In, I thought it was interesting. interesting. Um, there was a discussion last night about both Sam Steele and Jordan Greenway, and I thought it was funny. Someone was like, "Yeah, Sam Steele is a lazy hockey player." I'm like, "Well, he's God. a he's on the top line with arguably one of the best players in the National Hockey League, so obviously he can't be that lazy." Um, right. And I think Greenway too. Yes, he's a big guy, so he doesn't have to stride a ton to be in the play and bring that physicality. I think there's this misconception between a guy who's the high forward or a guy who's a bigger guy like Greenway is, and, you know, moves a bit different. You know, yep. I think of the opposite. Think of a guy like Zach Parisi who worked his butt off every time he made a stride, but it almost sometimes felt like he was going nowhere, right? Yeah. His legs were moving for the purpose of moving. Um, and I think that there's this 
misconception. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there's this misconception that guys who don't look like they're moving fast all the time still aren't positionally sound and reading the play appropriately. Like, I feel like Sam Steele has looked fine. I think he's looked okay, but, and here's the other thing to consider. Sammy Walker down in the minor leagues, he's, I think he's, in, is he leading the league in rookie scoring? That's a great question. I, I think he is. Research um, that. I'm pretty sure, he, I mean, he's up there. So, when you talk about trades, and Sammy Walker looked fine, you know, when he was he up. Could, he could add six goals. I mean, he, yeah, he, he, he was in the so, right spot. So, when, when you know, if you need an offensive jump, which I think they do, I think there's no question they're looking for some more scoring depth. I'm not sure if you have to go outside to look for it. I think you've got it in Sammy Walker. And it's and it's not that I'm saying there's better, more, shall we say, NHL experience options out there, but it's also what is it going to take to get that asset, right? And with a team that's going to be cap-strapped to hell and back the next two years, again, the, the highest cap hits of 14-plus million for Suter and Parisi, um, you know, if that wasn't there, they're in the conversation for Bo Horvat. You know, they're in the conversation with some other guys out there because they would have probably had the cap flexibility, right? We might even be talking about that because Kevin Fiala may still be part of the wild. Who knows, right? Um, but they have a challenge, right? And I do think you're going to have to rely on some of those younger assets because you don't want to give up first-round picks right now. You just can't yeah. afford that. Sammy Walker, 32nd overall in AHL scoring, uh, tied for first uh, with who else but Ethan Frank. Of the Hershey Bears, the form, yep. yeah, the former Western Michigan Bronco, both have 35 points. Frank, 20 goals, 15 assists. Sammy Walker, 17 goals, 18 assists. Same number of games played with 34. So those guys are like a .95 or .98 point per yeah. game player. So, yeah. so it, to me, I think if anything, you call them up and you just let them figure it out. Right. Um, I, yeah. I think because here's the other thing. Mason Shaw, he's been out of the lineup for a while. What did the Wild do with Mason Shaw, right? Um, right. Do, do you see him switching? I think I thought Connor Door had looked kind of off the last couple of games. Do you sense a switch in the bottom uh, bottom lines there? Or I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think with Connor Door though, I mean, his penalty kill prowess is what keeps him in the lineup. You know, yeah. his ability to use his speed here. Um, I think Brandon Duhame is maybe kind of his resourcefulness and usefulness has dwindled in recent months just with what he brings to the table. I know he's physical, but he's kind of a guy that, you look at him more as plug and play prototypical yep. replacement player right now type of thing. Not to say he hasn't earned his opportunity, but that's how it goes in the NHL, right? You're excited to see a new guy like Brandon Duhame, and then he outlives his usefulness because you want to change, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, it's a kind of a wicked world in that, in that sense here. Um, and I mean, you look at, you look at the wild and what they offer, by the way, Joe Hicketts on the back end of the AHL, by the way, has 31 points for the wild yeah. <laughs> second on the team in points. Pretty impressive for him. Uh, also dash four somehow, which is kind of, Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but Marco Rossi, by the way, um, is sitting fifth right now in team points. Um, him and Nick Patan both have 23 games played compared to everyone else above them that has 34, 41, 38, whatever it is. Um, Nick Patan has 27 points. Marco Rossi, 24 points in 23 games, eight goals, 16 assists. So he's he's well on pace too. Adam Beckman with 22 points as well too. So, um, you know, a lot of things moving in the right direction. That AHL squad, by the way, uh, and what Tim Army has done down there, I feel like sometimes we don't. Maybe that's something we can do next week, Nick. Yeah. Maybe we can highlight the AHL squad a little bit. Maybe kind of do a deep dive into them since we have a week off with the Wild. That might be kind of fun. That would be kind I, of fun. I, I think to, to actually, I mean, it's been a while since we've talked about it. And honestly, uh, there are times where the AHL, I think, is rougher and more difficult hockey than 
you know, the NHL brings at times. Of course, Iowa sitting third uh, in the Central Division right now uh, have 48 points compared to 51 for Milwaukee, 54 for Texas. Rockford right behind at 46, the Moose at 45 and fifth, and then Chicago and Grand Rapids are kind of off the table there. So mm-hmm. um, Manitoba, a couple games in hand to actually, oh, they've got three to four games in hand on the rest of the team. So Central right. Division heating up in the AHL side of things too. But the Wild, like you mentioned, I think the point that you're trying to go to is does it make sense for the Wild to make a move just to make a move at the deadline, especially if it's not a rental, when they can maybe handle things internally, I think is where you're trying to go with sort here. Sort of, you know, but it's also like, I, th- I think we both would agree that they need some more depth and offensive punch. I think yeah. that's that's and, not why there. And Bill Guerin talked about that. He said, it's not, it's not that we're not scoring. He said, it's the way that we have to score. He said, it's mm-hmm. net, net front, net mouth scrambles. He goes, we don't have a whole lot of natural scoring ability to our game. And they're missing Correct. that besides Kaprizov. They're missing that. Uh, they're missing a guy like Kevin Fiala, who just naturally yeah. could take a game over, make one or two moves and just naturally pot a puck in the back of the net. That's what they're missing. Yep, they are. And you, and that's the thing is you kind of wonder if, and again, with a deep draft and the fact that they're going to be cap constraints, again, you can't give up first round picks right now. So that kind of limits what you can do. And even then, like, I'm not sure just based on the way that the NHL has been trending, I'm not sure how teams can give up first round picks. Cause the minute you started doing that, look at where San Jose is at, uh, look yeah. where Vancouver is at, right. When you try to make these all in pushes, AKA the wild back and under GM Chuck Fletcher, um, <laughs> it just, you know, you lose on some of these new up and coming talents. Right. And let's talk about the cap implications too. Right. So you've got, um, after this year, UFAs for Ryan Reeves, as well as Freddie Goudreau, you've got RFAs and Sam Steele, Brandon Duhame and Mason Shaw. Of course, Matt Dumba situation is out there. Uh, McHale and Addison, as well as Philip Gustafson, where some people were like, he's not an initial starting goaltender. He absolutely is. Yep. Both are RFA. So you're gonna, money's going to be tight, yeah. really tight. So you kind of wonder just looking ahead because. Well, yeah, good, thing that, good thing the cap's growing. Oh, wait, that's right. Right. Well, and <laughs> I'm still not sold. It will only go up a million. It still could go up in maybe two. And it well, could. If, well, if Valley Sports gets their that's shit the together. Right. So, you know. <laughs> It's and I think maybe that's where that was retracted a bit. I think the NHL got a kind of bit of a lead heads up on that. Um, yeah. But you kind of wonder too if if it does stay at one. I mean, there's going to be some roster turnover just because of the cap constraints, and that's going to suck. Yeah. Well, I think the the reality of the situation is Ryan Reeves will stay with the Wild, whether or not that's <laughs> as a as a player or as a bodyguard. We'll have to see. Um, he might work security. Who's he to might. say? Um, you know, he's been serviceable. He's, he's done just fine. Um, yeah. is there anything else you wanted to add about the wild here? I mean, they, they definitely can use the week off of rest and then it's going to be a pretty tough push to the finish here. And they're going to need it too. And, you know, it, it would surprise me even more so if, if Sammy Walker doesn't get a call. Again, I, yeah. I think that you could actually play off time if the wild are in. So, right. And I think if anything, do you call him up sooner just so he can get acclimated again? So he can get some reps under his belt, try to figure it out again. You know, there's always that jump between AHL and yeah. NHL. Or do maybe, you- maybe the, if you feel like you're in a playoff spot, you know, in the last three or four games, maybe. Um, but let's be, let's be real here. Do you really need anything to get up and go during a playoff game? You know, I think right. he'll, he'd, he'd be just fine. Um, there was some talk about the draft too. Should the Wild miss, by the way, all 16 teams eligible um, for the draft? You can only move 10 spots, though. By the way, so um, the only the only team that has a shot essentially all the way up there is 10th on up. So the Wild would be a, for missing that missing yeah. that threshold. So um, yeah, typical Minnesota fandom, right? Um, right. But yeah, it should be interesting. I think it's exciting. Um, the Wild definitely are in the hunt. 
um, which is they something are. that maybe we didn't really expect a ton of this season. So, but the Pacific has stayed pat as well too. It's it's razor thin is the margin between a lot of these teams uh, that are that are not top groups. So, Nick, with that being said, of course, men's hockey uh, they're traveling uh, back home to face. Miami this weekend, women's hockey traveling to Wisconsin, the Minnesota Wild off this week. Um, other things to note, by the way, this is going to throw a lot at people here, but I'll give you the full rundown and we'll just try to keep updating you as we go. Things may change too, especially Nick's schedule is a lot more fluid than mine is. So things might change with NCHE frozen face-off, playoffs, things like that. But what I can tell you, Sunday release for the next two weeks on the 5th and the 12th, then the following week will be a Tuesday release on the 21st, followed by a Sunday release on the 26th, Tuesday release on the 7th, and then we should be back to normal, at least on my end of things, on Sunday the 12th. So uh, just a couple of quirks to kind of note in the schedule um, that we will definitely anticipate as we move forward. Nick, is there anything else? It was a great hockey day in Minnesota. I was excited you had a – I mentioned this to you yesterday, but – you were in command and in control of your game. You had a very good call. Your color analyst was very good too. It was a very good broadcast. I will say I had heard a lot of really great things. So it was a joy to watch um, and say, Hey, I know that guy and I'm prepping his podcast show notes for yes. tomorrow. So, <laughs> and, and hopefully more to come, right? That's, you know, yeah. what was it? Uh, Brian, is it, why can't I think of the Islanders uh, guys names? Uh, Brennan Burke. Um, that's kind of what jump started his career a bit was these types of, of opportunities and yeah. um, kind of hope more come on, you know, come the way. So, cause again, a television broadcast is, is just a whole different animal. Um, you know, Colin junior hockey is great. It's fun. Uh, but you know, I love uh, the full scale thing, the full, production i love talking to the yeah coaches. a lot more stability as you climb the ladder too so. yeah and uh so that's the hope is you know it hopes that more opportunities come my way and we'll see what happens so yeah should be exciting and obviously we're going to be there for it here at the warming house den here find us on twitter find us at huskies warming house podcast.com and wherever you find your podcast nick maxson at nick maxson pxp on twitter i am at scsu hockey 91 and we are excited to bring all Huskies content as it's the playoff push for every team that we know here as we're getting down to the wire in the hockey world. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. And your one-timer come in, they score! Seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.